0: Well, good morning uh, the The announcements earlier, and, and Joshua always does a such and i 'm not just saying this but Joshua always does such a good job at least I think so. Uh, you are all free to disagree and let him know about it but um, the way he described the kids made it sound like it 's a zoo back there, and I was thinking to myself, you know it 's not a great look as the one responsible for it all, and it, it really isn't so bad but then you know we we dismiss the kids and and uh kind of looks like a zoo so um but in, in all honesty it's i i love my you know the time i get to spend back there i love and i i hope the other volunteers do too and um like joshua said just trying to tighten some things up clean some things up uh getting back to whatever normal looks like now in the year 2022 um Anyway, we'll go ahead and get into the uh, scheduled programming here. Um, In the mid-1960s, a a little band from Liverpool, England, recorded a song that is still making waves today. Uh, If you're familiar with music at all, you might be thinking that I'm talking about the Beatles, and I am not. If I was talking about the Beatles, I would have to say... uh, Well, they recorded lots of songs, lots of songs in the 60s that are still making waves. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was a movie about their music not too many years ago. Um, But the little band in Liverpool that I'm talking about uh, is probably one you've not heard of. I would not have heard of them otherwise. Uh, And as I come to it, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, It's Jerry, or perhaps Gary. Gary. Jerry and the Pacemakers, Uh, and the song I was referring to that I am referring to is their 1963 chart-topping single, You'll Never Walk Alone. The song was originally written for the 1945 musical Carousel, which, fun fact, if you are into musicals at all, is written by the same men who wrote Oklahoma and The Sound of Music. Uh, But this particular song, You'll Never Walk Alone, uh, had been covered, has been covered by the likes of Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra, two much more recognizable artists than Jerry and the Pacemakers. But Jerry and the Pacemakers are the ones who made the song stick. They're the ones who would ensure that this song is passed on from generation to generation. How? By having the song played and sung... Before every home game at the local soccer club. Doesn't that sound quaint? The local soccer club. But this isn't any old soccer club. It is Liverpool FC. The Liverpool Football Club. It is one of the most historically successful professional soccer teams in the entire world. (laughs) Thank you, Joshua. I thought that might happen. (laughs) Every home match, every home match, Liverpool Stadium with a capacity of over 50,000 people, raises its voice to sing these words. It says, When you walk through the storm, hold your head up high, and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of a storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Hearing a crowd that large, 50,000 people, sing, You'll never walk alone, is a moving experience. Maybe I'm just an emotional guy. I kind of am. But it really is moving. It's enough to make you believe it. And who doesn't want to believe that? Who doesn't want to believe that they're not alone. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe you're not alone. Because the fact is, nobody really wants to be alone. No matter how introverted you might be and how much you might joke about not liking people, none of us want to be alone. Sooner or later, you're going to want, you are going to need someone to walk with you. There are storms in this life that will overtake you if you are an island. There are burdens in this life that you will not be able to lift or move on your own. This morning, we are continuing our series on the Gospel of John. Last week... Pastor Ben preached on John 11, and today we will be looking at John 15. If you're curious about what happened to John 12, 13, and 14, well, we looked at those passages last fall in a series focused on the truly, truly statements of Jesus. And now, because the Gospel of John is just too good, we are circling back to cover the things that we missed. In John 15, we're going to see Jesus encourage, assure his disciples that they are not alone, and that you and I, we are not alone. Jesus is with you, your Christian brothers and sisters are with you, and the Holy Spirit is with you. But before we go any further, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Sunday mornings. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people Uh, and to worship you, um, to be drawn into your presence, God, uh, in the midst of busy schedules, chaotic schedules, the good, the bad, the ugly, the normal, the mundane. Um, God, on Sundays, shake us out of that and help us to see you uh, with fresh eyes and to um, take that with us as we go through our weeks, God. But I pray that this morning, as we turn to your word, that it would be effective, that Uh, You would speak clearly through me and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would uh, work on each one of us to conform us to your son, God, to make us more like you, um, to build us up and strengthen us and equip us. Uh, Father, I pray that um, wherever we're coming from this morning, again, the highs, the lows. um, we would understand that we don't have to set those things aside, that we can bring them to you. And as we, again, turn to your word and consider the good things you have to say to us, I pray that we would be encouraged where we feel weak, that we would be challenged where we're in air, where we need to be challenged, where we need to be pushed. Um, but most of all, God, I just pray that we would grow to love you more and love one another more as a result of studying your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to look at John 15, starting in verse 1 through verse 11. Um, I'll encourage you, as always, to have a Bible open in front of you. If not, much of this, most of this will be on the screen. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There are many, many good, interesting and important things for us to consider from those verses but first I want to show how they fit into the story that John is telling because after all the gospel of John is more accurately called the gospel of Jesus according to John John isn't just showing us the bare facts he's not simply playing history back to us he's giving us his very own account of the good news of Jesus's life like a good documentary John is taking historical events, real events, and fitting them together with an overarching narrative. He is framing the stories into one larger story so that we might come to certain conclusions. Good documentaries do this. They show you and tell you the truth in a way that compels you into some larger truth. Now in John 15, the pace of John's storytelling has slowed way down. Way, way down. The first 12 chapters of John cover three years of John's life and ministry. But beginning in chapter 13, through the rest of the book in 21, John covers what amounts to maybe a couple of weeks. And chapters 13 through 19 are going to focus on just 24 hours. Now in these final 24 hours, Jesus gathers together his disciples for one last private lesson. And it's here that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's here that he dem- dismisses Judas, and Judas slips into, t- into the night, setting in motion Jesus' triumphant demise. And most importantly for our purposes this morning, it's here where Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving. John 14, verse 1, captures the emotion of that room well. <laughs> Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. The disciples are troubled. And why shouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be troubled? Yes, we know what Jesus meant, but they didn't. They didn't understand when he talked about his death. And because they didn't understand when he talked about his death, they sure didn't have a clue about the resurrection. In fact, The disciples probably just thought Jesus was going to up and leave and travel to some other country without them. In John 7, Jesus tells a different group that he's going to leave and they won't be able to follow him, and that is exactly what they think. say, where's he going to go? He's going to go to some other country? All of this does seem a little ridiculous. Why would Jesus travel to another country and leave his disciples behind? And without the benefit of hindsight, knowing what we know of the cross and knowing what we know of the empty tomb, Jesus leaving the disciples doesn't make a lot of sense. But we do know the cross and we do know the empty tomb and his leaving does make sense and it is happening. So Jesus, as told by John in chapters 14, 15, and 16, is preparing his disciples for his departure. And while they don't quite get it, Jesus assures them that they will not be alone. But he doesn't just say, don't worry, you're not going to be alone. He doesn't say, don't worry, I will be with you. Instead, he tells his disciples what they must do in order to not be alone. And the first most important thing they must do is repeated over and over in these verses. The disciples must abide in Christ. Now, to get at the meaning of abiding in Christ, we need to consider the the metaphor, the illustration that Jesus uses. Jesus says that he is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser and his disciples are the branches. What's relevant to this illustration is not where the vine is planted or how long it's been around, what other plants are in the garden, the amount of fruit it yields or even what the fruit is used for. The focus of the metaphor is on the life-giving property of the vine and the response of the branches, whether or not they bear fruit. Now, whether or not the branches bear fruit is determined by their relationship to the vine. It's a fairly simple question. Are the branches in or are they out? Are the branches in the vine or not? There is a literal, physical, visible, traceable connection between the vine and the branches. And it's this connection that the vine uses to send life into the branch. It's this life that not only sustains the branch, but allows the branch to bear fruit. Consequently, if the branch is cut off, it's going to wither and die. If you disconnect the branch from its source of life, it will inevitably suffer and be good for nothing but kindling. So to abide in Christ is to be nourished by him in such a way that our life brings forth the fruit of God honoring good works. And the way we do that, the way we abide and bear fruit is through obedience to his commandments. As a matter of fact, there's a a a cool wordplay that is lost in translation in the first couple verses in John 15:2 and 3 that I think will help make this point if you didn't know the new testament was originally written in Greek, and so when it gets translated into English, there are things that just get lost, uh, and actually, I have, a, I think, a helpful example of this from a few nights ago. My boys and I, we watched this movie called Ron's Gone Wrong. You don't need to know anything about the movie at all except its title, Ron's Gone Wrong. Part of the reason that title, at least in my opinion, sticks is that repeated sound, Ron, on, 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 Ron's Gone Wrong, all right? So the movie ends, it was a fine movie, whatever, Movie ends, we let the credits roll because the credits always have some fun catchy song. And I'm getting the boys ready for bed and I happen to walk by the TV and I look up and it's showing the Spanish credits. And the Spanish title of the movie is Ron da Error. Not quite as catchy as Ron Gone Wrong. There's something lost In that. It means the same thing, but there's something missing. There's some level of understanding that we lose. That happens in translation. Sometimes it's a bit silly, like Ron's gone wrong. Other times it can really help us understand something like Scripture. So in verse 2, Jesus says that every branch that does bear fruit is pruned. Now, for the sake of simplicity, let's just say that the word translated prune is. Kathero, because I don't want to embarrass myself trying to pronounce Greek words. Right, so when we get to verse 3, we have prune, kathero. When we get to verse 3, all of a sudden we're talking about being clean, which can be jarring. What's what's this doing here? And what we don't realize is that the word for prune and the word for clean are the same word. They are both kathero. Right? So what's this have to do with bearing fruit? Well, pruning is the process of cutting away excess from a plant to ensure good, healthy growth where you want it. And the father prunes those who bear fruit. The father cuts away the excess to make sure that you are taking the shape that he wants you to take and bearing fruit where he wants you to bear it. And the way he prunes you, the way he cleans you is through the word that Jesus speaks. Yes, we are cleansed of our sin, and the Bible says much about being cleaned in that way. And and yes, that is part of this pruning process. You are cleaned, you are pruned in order to bear fruit. This is God's work in you. As Christians, I believe we we need to get away from this idea that God's law is only good for making us feel rotten. That God's law is only good for condemning us. Yes, if we hold up the law to ourselves as a mirror, we will surely see that we fall short, 100%. If we try to live by the law, we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith in Jesus Christ compels us to abide in him and keep his commandments. The law points us to Jesus, but having found Jesus... We don't abandon God's commands. We uphold them through the power He gives us as we abide in Him. As we abide in Him, we abide in His Word, we abide in His love, which we aren't even touching on except to say that His commands are love. When we abide in those things, we bear fruit. And these things are meant to inspire joy in us by assuring us that we are not alone. That while Jesus might be physically absent, his life-sustaining and fruit-generating power in our lives is not. Christ's connection to the disciples, his connection to you and to me, is as real and as life-giving as the connection between a vine and its branches. The 23rd Psalm tells us that God leads us in paths of righteousness. If You'll never walk alone. If you follow Jesus on those paths, moving along in John 15, now we're going to see that we're not alone because our Christian brothers and sisters are with us. So looking in verse 12 through 17, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. Rather than the trees. There are lots of good trees here, lots of trees worth inspecting, but the forest here, so to speak, is that we love one another. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure by commanding them to love one another. In his absence, they will need each other. And this love has a defined shape. This love is meant to reflect the love that Jesus himself has shown them. Freshest in the disciples' minds, freshest in their memories, would be Jesus washing their feet earlier that very evening. By washing their feet, Jesus demonstrated the humility with which we are to serve others as we serve him. But the love doesn't stop with washing feet. There are An infinite number of simple ways we can love one another. But there are also some very, very hard, extreme ways. Like Jesus going to the cross. In verse 13, Jesus flat out says the greatness of this kind of love. Laying down your life for your friends. And while it's easy to think of this as a heroic death, understand that Jesus' death was not obviously heroic. He was mocked as a fool and killed as a scoundrel. Nobody looking at Jesus on the cross would have seen a hero. Nobody. Yet Jesus Christ laid down his life and suffered through that for you and for me. For the sake of God's purposes. For the sake of God's promises. I'm not asking if you're willing to lay your life down for your friends as a hero. I'm asking if you're willing to lay your life down as a fool, mocked and scorned and hated because you love Jesus. Will you live with that kind of love? Because that is the love that Jesus had. It is the love that he showed to you. And it is the love that he demands of us. And it's the love that he supplies, vine to the branches. Now with this love, we are not alone. Christ is with us, and our fellow Christians are with us. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is with us. So let's jump ahead to verses 26 and 27. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In John 15, right, Jesus assures us that he's with us. We abide in him. Our connection to Jesus is as real and as life-giving as that between a vine and its branches. He then goes on to tell us, that we have each other, we have the love of each other, supporting one another to carry on and to encourage and equip one another. And then finally here he says the Holy Spirit is with us. And actually this assurance comes out maybe a little more clearly in John 14 and 16. In John 14, Jesus says that the Spirit will dwell with you and be in you. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't leave them without help or resources. And the help that the Holy Spirit provides fits perfectly with everything else Jesus has said the Spirit comes to bear witness about Jesus. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. As the Holy Spirit, by clarifying the words of Jesus that we don't understand, and by bringing to mind the words that we might have forgotten. And through this process, the Father is pruning us cleaning us, preparing us, sanctifying us to bear fruit in the vine of his son for the benefit of his people and for the world. Our comfort and hope and encouragement is the Trinity at work. It is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work in me, and the Father, Son, and Spirit at work in you, and the Father, Son, and Spirit at work in all of us together. So yes, Jesus is leaving, but if you abide in him, you will never walk alone. He will be with you, his people will be with you, and his spirit will be with you. Now this far, this sermon has been um, a sermon on comfort and encouragement, or at least I hope it has, uh, because I believe that this passage is a passage that is meant to comfort and encourage us. Uh, But I want to avoid offering something overly generic, or, or maybe it's not so much I don't want to be generic, but that I want to be more specific because I think John 15 is more specific, right? The comfort of John 15 is not for lost dogs or lost jobs or even lost loved ones. The Bible is full of comfort for those situations. Jesus Gives us comfort in those situations. The gospel is applied to those situations. But this here, John 15, is comfort for the battle. It is comfort for the battlefield. When you are standing on the front lines, hated for Jesus' sake, when the enemy is seeking to destroy you or force your surrender, these are the words you need. That is the challenge that the disciples were themselves going to face hated for Jesus's sake. Verses uh, picking back up in John 15, looking at verses 18 through 25 says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. The world hates Jesus. We should not be surprised if they hate you for looking like him. Now, some people take verses like this and assume that if they're getting under people's skin, then they must be doing something right. But that's Obviously not what these verses are about. Jesus is not telling us to be as contentious and as annoying as we possibly can. The point isn't to be hated. The point is to follow Jesus, to abide in him, to obey his commands, to walk in step with the Spirit and love one another. And if you're doing those things, you're following Jesus closely enough Don't be surprised when people treat you like they treated Jesus. They mocked him and hated him and sought to destroy him. They thought he was a fool. Now, not everybody was out to get Jesus. Not everyone is out to get Christians. But again, don't be surprised. And do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of laying down your life looking like a fool. Remember that you are a branch and that your life is in the vine. You need to heed the words of the Spirit of God and look to Jesus Christ in obedience. His words are love and blessings to us, no matter what the world would have you think. Let your brothers and sisters lift your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, this morning, my sermon has been focused on John 15, uh, but as we've seen, the thoughts and ideas of John 15 don't start or stop in John 15. And so I'd like to direct your attention to the final verses of John 16. John 16, 32 and 33. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ was abandoned by his friends. He was not abandoned by his God, by his Father, but he was abandoned by his friends. Those who were afraid of being left alone scattered and left him alone. For our sake, for your sake, Jesus was abandoned so that we never will be. Through Jesus' sufferings, we receive life in him. We receive the strength of a heavenly family and we receive the conviction and direction of the spirit of God in us. Surely in Christ, you will never walk alone. Let's pray. And you do comfort us in the highs and the lows and the lowest lows. And there are so many uh, blessings and assurances to be had in your word. Um, To help us to not grow uh, naive or complacent Um, we do have an enemy prowling like a lion seeking to destroy us. And if we think about that for very long, it it ought to frighten us some God, but we should know, and we can know that we are not alone, that through your word, through faithfulness to you, through trusting in you, obeying you, we are as connected to you as a branch to its vine. God, and as we are connected to you, we are connected to a heavenly family who is equipped with your strength and with your spirit uh, to press on, to encourage each other, to lift each other, to bear one another's burdens. Um, God, as we mentioned a little bit, to lift our voices together and make the things believable when they're hard to believe. God, I pray that you would um, strengthen us and equip us uh, in light of John 15. Uh, and in light of a a, a changing world, um, to boldly and faithfully be willing to look like fools because we love you. Be willing to be mocked and ridiculed and scorned just like Jesus for the sake of you and your promises and your goodness. Father, we love you. Uh, We thank you. Thank you for your son Jesus who makes anything and all of this possible.